gal, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, maternity leave isn't a privilege, it's a human right. An alter ego can get you through just about anything. And parenthood is an equal partnership. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. That was such a good harmony. Cut it and rewind. Um, Hi, Diana. Hello, hello. We are joined by a very special guest whose bio I'm going to read right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Danny Cesario, did I say your last name right? Perfect. Is the 333rd black female licensed architect in American history. Woo! What What a starting line. Hailing from Manchester, England, she became enamored at a very very early age with the intricacies of New York City and the buildings that contributed to its architectural prestige. She is currently an associate at Array Architects, leading dynamic healthcare and wellness projects. Beyond the office, Danny's passions for architecture and advocacy had also led her to be a role model for emerging design professionals. Danny is also dedicated to fostering mentorship, sponsorship, and leadership among the diverse design community, as they navigate their careers within architecture and beyond. Danny, thank you so much. No problem. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're Ooh. so excited to have you. This is such a special film that we're talking about because I'm like obsessed with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's one of the, I'm going to name it. I feel like it's the most underrated film of this year. And when you finally kind of figure out what the film is. Yeah. It's so deeply mesmerizing and thought-provoking. I just, I don't even know where we begin. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, after that gorgeous bio, we're actually not talking about architecture at all today, (laughs) which I feel like we need to have you back to talk about architecture, but we're actually talking to talk about Tully. It's it's part of my identity. It's not the the whole thing. Totally. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And I'm I'm so happy to echo what Erin is saying. I'm so happy to have you here because this film is... Well, it's about motherhood. It is, but it also is like about how unseen women are, yes. how unseen, you know, women women's labor is. How like, mm. ugh, there's just so much going on in this movie. Yeah, there there is. Um, I'm not sure like where I know where to start. It's usually at the beginning, um, but there, there, I have so much to say. I don't know if you guys have questions lead into it. Yeah, but, I mean, like, why I don't can, you start wherever you yeah. if you have feelings off the bat I mean basically we just kind of freestyle things that resonated with us and um, I think again it's really cool to have you in the room because I think we can speculate kind of the motherhood journey but I think to have somebody who's actually been through it is so important Um, and such a perspective that even before we were on mic we were kind of chatting about it's going to be really great to hear Mm. kind of your thoughts about the process and just how Charlize unwinds all the way in this movie but does she though? Because she's still standing at the end of it. Mm. So like, does she really unwind? That, yeah. That's what. That's what I was left with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna rewind to the beginning. So I'm a mom of um, two young daughters. One just turned one, and the other one just turned four. They're within like three weeks of each other. So it's an adventure. Um, 
mother being a mother is part of my identity overall i am also a friend and a sister and a wife and a you know an architect and an advocate and activist and like there's so many hats that go along with being a woman in general and there's just an, an additional layer of being responsible for small people as well and i think um this was one of the most honest movies I've seen about motherhood. I think that there are so many, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard it. And like, especially now we're in, you'll hear like people say, oh, you know, it's the most beautiful thing and it's the most amazing thing. And it really is. It genuinely mm-hmm. is one of the most amazing feats that you can take on um, if you want to, if you're interested and mm-hmm. if you're able. Um, but I don't think anybody tells the ugly side. And I think that this story, like many of, of Diablo's movies, talks about like the unattractive side of, of certain situations, particularly from a, a woman's perspective, which even though we, we talk a good game about equality, I mean, there's a saying that my grandparents and my parents say, like, you know, those pastoral proverbs, which is like, you know, donkeys say this world is not level. And it isn't even in an equal partnership where you've got a super supportive spouse or, you know, life partner, what have you, um, there's always somebody that takes the brunt of, of the parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually because of our gender roles and traditional gender roles, it, it so happens to be the woman or the, the person who tends to be um, more of the caregiver or the one who's, who is more comfortable with being sacrificial. And the thing that they never tell you when you are becoming a mother or, you know, nobody ever gives you like the ugly stuff. Like everyone will say, oh, the delivery is this and that. Only you and people that you speak to after the fact will like tell you the truth about how delivery is and all of that. Um, Sorry to frighten you off. But (laughs) (laughs) um, the truth is there are days where you like you will sit and you will cry and there's days where you will rejoice and it just gives you this like energy to fight for what you really want and to really sift things out that are not really conducive to your life. So going back to the movie, Tully, I thought that the the title, which you come to find in the end, um, is how, I don't, I don't remember what her name is in the movie, but I'll call her Charlize for now. Yeah. How Charlize um, really identifies herself and mm. identity, I think, is one of the things that, motherhood really brings up because uh you are i think you are always yourself right you're always erin you're always diana you're always danny right but as you go through your life and you mature there's certain things that you take on and people that like come along with you so it's your life partner your spouse and eventually your children and all the the other people and one day you look around for me, I looked around and like there were all these people and an animal on a sofa. And I'm like, well, like, where did you come from? And at the core of it, you're still, I'm still Danny. But it's um, it's sort of navigating life, being true to self while still being responsible and loving and giving to all of these other people. I think that the battle that Charlize had in the movie was when to say no and when to ask for help. And I think with as as women, we're often like wanting to be the warrior princess, and 
even if it's at the sacri- at the detriment to yourself, like you just don't you don't say no, you keep going. Yeah. Like I just don't understand why the hell he just felt the need to be on his video games. Like I I wanted to like smash whatever system he was on because how could you not see this woman mm. with her lopsided boobs and like, you know, she's like she's haggard, she's really tired. Right. And on top of being a mom to a new baby, she's still got to parent these other two that still need her. And that that scene of her like lying on the couch and you know like she wants to be involved but her body just won't let her and the kids are playing behind the curtain um she knows that they're safe because she's there and she's like close enough that if they should yell out or somebody should you know break something or a bone she's there but she's not able to be present because she's doing all of the things on her own well and that one scene in the hospital too where he talks about how she leaves and there's nobody there to watch the kids. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, well, weren't you home? It's just such a heaviness of like their dynamic. Uh-huh. And I think you're 100% right. I think the theme of having to shoulder it all and having to be a superstar, a warrior, mm. you know, whatever narrative was so gutting that I think when you realize what she's doing it for, and just the narrative that sh- we we put on women to have to do it and to have her partner kind of check out in this way with the video games and things like that was so, yeah, gutting is like the word I was when we kind of found out what had happened yeah. in their relationship and, and the big reveal. It was so, I was stunned. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, this is, it's so, it's such an important film. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it's, it's just really spoke to so many things that I think you're right. We don't talk about. Yeah. But I feel like in the same breath too, women are starting to open up and they're starting to share how hard it is. And I feel, you know, grateful for platforms like Instagram that really are showing. I have a lot of friends with new babies who are showing the pain of it and are Mm -hmm. showing, you know, I had a friend today who posted and said, you know, like I cried all day today, Mm -hmm. you know, had to release it. Like, this is really hard. Just want everyone to know that like other mothers, I see you. And as much as that is like amazing, I'm also like, where's her partner? And like, do men have these moments? And like, why do we feel the burden to have to take everything on you know it's a physical physiological um aspect of it i think Mm -hmm. when you carry somebody like literally under your heart for the better part of a year yeah and like you are basically in the passenger seat of this like crazy ride like you eat what they tell you to eat and you go at the speed that they tell you to go at and you are never the same again like i still cannot stomach sushi i loved sushi four years ago and I gave it up and like it's not the same like it doesn't taste the same and the texture is like gross but is that me or is that like having I don't I'm not gonna ever say a parasite but like having hosting hosting, you know somebody for that amount of time yeah and then like you know that that scene when she's on the toilet and the nurse is just saying to her like you have to pee Mm -hmm. now we're not gonna get graphic um but the um, delivery process, any way that you do it, is like it's daunting. It's mm-hmm. a lot. There are things moved. There are things that do not get replaced. There are things that, like you know, become adjacent to each other that maybe they shouldn't become adjacent to each other. But um, at the end of it, nobody tells you the fact that, like afterwards, like the 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 state of of 
<laughs> of Charlize when she's in her house. And even when she sometimes leaves the house um, to take care of her other children. Um, and, you know, like that, to me, what really spoke to me is that lopsided bra because the maternity bras are really just for quick access. But like, you know, one one boob may be bigger than the other. You're like you're just you're just a bit of a mess yeah. after the whole ordeal. Um, and then you you're, there's a, these expectations of you. And I think that they they said that without saying it in the, the artful way that Diablo does it. When the, the nurse comes through and says, you, you know, you have to you have to do a wee. And she is like, she's like, you know, I am like how, you know, she goes off on the nurse and it has nothing to do with the nurse, but she really wants to wee and she's not in control of her own body. Mm-hmm. And they don't get into the graphics of like what actually happens to you after birth, but you are still responsible for this tiny creature that just won't stop eating. I remember like I nursed both girls and um, the the whole experience of like nursing to the point where you feel faint like you need some you need somebody to like bring you a sandwich before you can like get up to put the baby down because it's finally sleeping because it's literally like sucked your whole life out um and they're good and you're happy with that but you're not you have to take care of what i'm trying to say is you you have to take care of this very small little thing that you absolutely love and you would do anything for and also still take care of yourself and still stay alive and still stay alive <laughs> and if you've got other children like you don't want them to feel like shit you know because yeah. you're just in a state and that's when i guess you you're supposed to call on the troops but if you're a person like myself that has has trouble like asking for help it's that's like another milestone you have to or another hurdle you have to go over right well we so expect mothers to just handle it and mm-hmm. to just know how to do it mm-hmm. and there is no kind of space given for asking for help Mm -hmm. and it's it's weird too I think a lot of burden does fall on her partner to kind of see her Mm -hmm. and to recognize like when she's kind of unwinding like even with the karaoke and there are these moments that we get a hint that something is quite off Mm -hmm. um but no one's really around her to catch her and then I wonder like is it because like I didn't see a single friend come over. They mm-hmm. do like the quick sequence of like the the lady that comes and walks in the crib and is like, oh, the baby's like darling, it's gorgeous and all of that. But beyond her sister-in-law, who seems like a bit meddlesome and judgmental yeah. and like she's got it all together, you don't really see like a friend come over and just like ask, how are you doing? You know? Yeah. I think that's one of the things that before the big reveal happens... That's one of the things that almost tips you off is like, so she has this night nanny coming over and so Tully is taking care of the baby supposedly at night and Charlie's has the kids in the day, um, but she's not doing anything for herself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that and it's intentional. Like, yeah, look, like for, it's leading up to the reveal that she's doing it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't see her like going to maybe a yoga class or going to for a walk or going to get her nails done or like going to, you know, do things, do self-care things that you mm. you do. But in the moment that she does, when she's like, she's running and she's like competing right, right. with this young girl who's, yeah. whose body probably hasn't gone through what she's just gone through. Right. Yeah. And then like she, she sits down by a tree and her boob starts leaking yeah. and the woman looks at the, the other girl looks at her like, what the hell are you? Okay. Like, you know, you're falling apart. And she mm-hmm. goes, Oh, it's just milk. 
Yeah. I make milk. And she feels super powerful about the, what her body can do yeah. and what she's trying to get her body to do again, I guess, by running. And I guess, I don't know whether it's like a lack of experience on the part of the other woman in the scene, but like that moment of judgment, I think, yeah. as she's trying to like get back to normal. Yeah, well, even the other scene that she's kind of alone is when she's in the coffee shop mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. she runs into her ex-girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of another moment of, oh, you live here and like yeah. just continuing to like shame this poor woman who's trying to get I, it together. I think that was a trigger though. Um, Absolutely. It was definitely a trigger because I think that there's a very pointed reason as to why. Do you know what her name was in the movie? Yes, I can look it up. I'm you. sorry. I have it in my notes. I'm just going to keep calling her Charlene in the meantime. <laughs> her name's Marlo, Charles. but we can call her Charlene. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever. The thing there's a, a pointed reason as to why Marlo went back to this per this version of herself that was so long ago. And I think it's telling about when she feels like she probably lost her identity. Um, it's very important as you, I think, as a woman evolves to maintain some level of your identity the things that you cared about will evolve as you evolve but that like what they call i guess self-care and things like that like if you cared about getting your nails done before you know maybe that's something that you should probably continue to do it, it sounds trivial mm -hmm. but when you are constantly giving of yourself to all of these people in the way that marlo was the last time she felt free was her 20 odd year old self that Tully that's what she identified as like you know and she's she's like what do you do in the day and like so curious about this other person and for me I think that that's part of why like I've held on to my career because I wanted to be an architect from the time I was six and so you know as as my life has evolved and my responsibilities have I've really like held on to that. And while my love and my passion has evolved in different ways and different streams, I think that like being a working mom, like that's a part of myself. I think I, I keep for myself and try and like encourage other women to, to do that as well, because it's important to be there for your kids for sure. But it's also be being able to be present while you're there for them and not, not, not wishing that you are someplace else or having to like go off someplace else to cope with, what your situation well is. and as we see in the film too it's like it's so hard if it is your full-time role to carve out the space for yourself because society practically demand and your partner demands you to be so full-time mm -hmm. and so it is so hard it's just really really hard and, mm -hmm. and you have to have I think a lot of I don't even know what the word is but make it a priority and I can imagine that you would you're so tired you're so exhausted like the last thing you want to do is get a manicure and like deal with strangers or leave your house or have to shower like it's such a without having the support which you know we think she has with Tully and then we find out she doesn't have mm -hmm. um yeah I think that was such a message of this film of like you need your people you need some kind of people you need some kind of help you need some kind of support because it was interesting the first half of the movie I was like oh is Diablo Cody just making a movie so that we all get night nannies <laughs> like is she like giving us like the okay like the permission to get help and yeah. I was like oh well that's a good message and and then once we come to find out you know big reveal that there is no night nanny that she's hallucinated this whole alter ego character of who she used to be you're just like, oh, fuck, no. What we're talking about is how American women have to take on everything. Uh, 
So as a, as a non-American woman, I will tell you that, yes, there is better infrastructure in other countries for sure. I have a friend who works in engineering. I, th I think she's still at Parker, Parsons Brinkerhoff, which is a big engineering firm, does civil engineering. She got an entire, sorry, an entire year off to spend with her, her baby. And I'm pretty sure she was paid through it. On the other side of the world, you get like a measly 12 weeks and then you have to speak to someone on the phone to authorize the way, like someone you've never met and tell them the way in which you delivered said child into the world. And it's usually a random man and you have to answer, did you do it vaginally or, you know, was it a C-section? Like demeaning things like that, that shouldn't happen in 2018. Um, to justify you being paid to stay home in a job that you've worked on at for years and things like that. There's, there is a, an obvious institutional issue with the way that women are treated in this country. And I think that um, for women, it's an either or. Whereas for men, it's like, mm. oh, congratulations, bro. Like you've got, you've got a new kid coming. I've had two fellas in my office have kids and um they were out for like you know the paternity leave that new york state i think gives um of two weeks and then they just get back and get on with it and i think their partners are, are not back at work but right. it's just different because i mean you don't you don't have to like your body doesn't have to knit itself back together again for men um and then the other part of what you said so living through it and spending like an entire month sleeping on the sofa because my youngest daughter would only sleep for about an hour between feeds. So I would have to set up my snacks from like about 8.30 at night when I put my oldest daughter to sleep and I would have the living room like, and it, I mean, it looked like a hovel. You've got your like setup of snacks and liquids cause you have to stay hydrated to nurse and all of this and um, we would sit there because she only liked to sleep in the bouncy chair for she would sleep 20 minutes at a time and the rest of the time she would sleep on my chest. It's still the same to this day. And I would be nervous that she was going to wake up my older daughter and things like that. So we were we were confined to the sofa at night times and I would sleep in like one hour increments. Um, and that's with a partner and that is with a family that lives nearby but you are the, you're the milk producer, right? So like, that's the one job that nobody else can kind of do. Mm -hmm. I don't know that whether this is pro breastfeeding or not, but <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we hung out on the sofa and you know, to your point of the big reveal. So because I had lived through it, the big reveal for me didn't happen, I guess, for other people. I sat and watched it with my husband, Mario. And I called it like halfway through. I said, this is too perfect. It's not real. She's mm. like, she's freaking out because at like four o'clock in the morning when you've had, you know, stops and starts of sleep, you, I mean, everything is like surreal to you. For you sure. you wake up and you see the sunrise and I don't know whether architecture school prepared me for like the not sleeping part. It's still an issue. I'm sure you see like my Instagram posts at two in the morning and things like that. But um, you do you do hallucinate because you're just tired. Yeah, you're exhausted. You sleep when you can, and there's a lot being demanded of your body. You sleep when the baby sleeps because you're linked. You're linked hormonally, and I think that there are there've been a lot of recent like reveals from celebrities and all sorts um, of like going through 
postnatal depression. Like I think that people are being more vocal about it. But I think for many women, like women that don't necessarily have all of the resources that a celebrity might have, you may not even know if you have postnatal depression. Like I think Marlo probably has postnatal depression and probably doesn't bloody know it because you know what? She can't stop she can't stop moving for long enough to address that. Right. When you go to your post um postnatal it's more for the, the baby, like the, their first pediatric um, visits and stuff like that. They literally have you fill out a questionnaire on a regular basis about like, how are you feeling? Are you sleeping? Are you feeling like you're a, a detriment to the baby? Like, I mean, there's, there's better, more clever language to it. And then they give you like a score and that's your postnatal depression. I'm just giving you a heads up. It's a postnatal depression quiz. And based on how you answer that, that's how your doctor will speak to you and, and things like that. They give it to you in the hospital, like a day after you've literally like done all of this with your pelvis and stuff. And they give it to you um, at your visits for the, the new baby and your own visits to see like how you're healing and things like that. And I, so I remember like joking with my mom. I said, I think that the postnatal depression quiz is depressing. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's just, sure. just, it's grim because like, I mean, you don't want at the same, you want to be honest, but at the same point in time, you don't want them to feel like you're a danger to the baby. And like, yeah. how could you not oh be hormonally like of not course. level after everything you've been through? Yeah, you're so vulnerable and it's questions that are like asking very personal things and you're like well yeah i yeah. kind of i'm not sleeping is that a bad thing mm -hmm. like you know and then you second guess yourself so totally. like you're you're like marooned onto the island of other moms that you like ask is this normal oh. should this be doing this you know yeah danny i think to your point too like one of the interesting things i think just even about being pregnant is like the sisterhood of the way that women who have gone through the experience totally see like where you're at mm -hmm. and it was really funny even just talking to like you know, telling Sal's family and being like, you know, we're pregnant and, you know, we tell his aunts and his, you know, cousins and things like that. And it would be so funny, like the when I would tell them that I had a lot of nausea and I was really sick, like all the women were like, oh, yeah, like get your saltines, like mm -hmm. have your packs ready. And then the men would be like, oh, is that like a thing? Like so like the, the disconnect of like your experience is wild. Mm. And even in my own relationship, it was really interesting because I felt pregnant right away. You know, like the hormones came flooding in and I had no control over my body and I was sick and I was like, wow, like this is wild. And I could and then this then I can't sleep anymore. Like it's, it's I, I totally bananas. And, you know, in the beginning when I wasn't showing, I think my husband thought subconsciously that I was like imagining it. Mm -hmm. And he was like, are you like, what can I do? And there was like such a disconnect of how he could help because he felt so out of the element and I think yeah. still processing what was going on. And it's funny now that I'm showing, I feel less pregnant actually because I my morning sickness is gone. Mm -hmm. um, and he his mindset now is totally like, you know, don't lift anything. Like there's this like dotingness that's nice, but I don't actually need anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> You've passed that point. Yeah, and it's mm -hmm. just fascinating the, the way that your body demands of you as you were saying, like you're hosting and you're carrying this thing and it's it's going to totally change. And it, I'm, I'm really curious to read more about couples and how they kind of go through the process. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's something that Sal and I talk a lot about, which is great. And I think that's a good sign that he's willing to be open and mm -hmm. figure it out. 
Um, but I do know that, yeah, because of the breastfeeding, it's like you're kind of on your own and it can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do you have I any advice for me on how to make sure my partner <laughs> um, stays active and involved or any thoughts about that? I think um, to two things. Um, I think it's pretty common for men to not necessarily or like male partners to not necessarily like be affected or be as involved until you start showing it's I think it's for them it's things tend to be a bit more like tangible and visual visual and things like that um so like you've been living the experience for a while now and I think that for him like it's becoming more and more real Mm -hmm. um my second pregnancy to my first pregnancy was very very different like I could climb mountains with my first pregnancy my second pregnancy I knew I was pregnant because I was at work and it was you know how work microwaves look I just (laughs) (laughs) know exactly Exactly. what you're gonna say (laughs) and I I wasn't even heating anything up in there and um I'd had a salad from Pret and I was just going about my day and I was talking to my co-worker Blake and um then it just like I could feel the heaving coming Mm -hmm. up from my toes yeah and so that was the salad. And I knew I didn't have an allergy to salad or anything. And that's how I knew. And it was like that for a while. It was weak and this and that. And I think that for some portions of it, Mario was like, are you, like, are you serious? You are so fine with Melania and everything. And um, there's a question of whether it's in all in your head mm-hmm. sort of thing. And, you know, I had to say to him at one point where I couldn't, I literally like couldn't get out of bed. It was like, you've known me for like a dozen years. I don't get sick. I don't stop like this is like a real thing not that I had to justify it to him but I think when you're going through it and the person has never been through it it's difficult and I think as as a person who has been through it and like people like yourself who are like going through it now you want to give enough support and advice but still allowing the person to have their own um experience Mm. i think that's the kind of generational difference between like our mothers and maybe our aunts and like us around this table where like my mom would be like no you don't do that and you don't do that and like you know the older generation is like you know you can't um you can't eat eggs or like you know just random weird things you'll hear along the way um whereas i think that nowadays it's more like whatever you want it to be so i had I had a friend whose son is five months older than my oldest daughter. And I remember like after my first childbirth, like saying to her, like, uh, bitch, why didn't you tell me? Like, (laughs) this is how it was going to be. And she was like, well, um, I just wanted you to have your own experience and whatever. So it's not that there's a, a want to hide things from you, but it's that kind of like support and not pushing something down your throat at the same point in time. Totally. Well, even like being pregnant, I remember, you know, Ashley, who's our mm-hmm. mutual friend, you know, watching her go through the process and really like feeling like I could empathize with mm-hmm. what she was going through and like really feeling like, oh, I can I can understand and I'm going to hold space for you. And I've read all these articles, but until I actually experienced it and we had those conversations, it's just different. Mm-hmm. And I think that the best friendships are the ones that can like go through all of those different hurdles and not hurdles, but like experiences in life. 
I think that my friendship with like one of my closest friends, like we've been to Coachella and the whole lot. <laughs> like Laura and I are mothers of two children each and we've known each other before we were married and before like all of these life events happened. And I remember like in Coachella, we we're sitting there, like it's great. We're about to watch Beyonce and we're both checking in with our kids and our families and things like that. I'm like, wow, isn't this one for perspective? Like I remember the, I remember her version of Tully, but I also respect her as Marlo, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. And it, it's being around those people and surrounding yourself with the people that knew you before and know you during and are really excited to see the next evolution of you as you grow and cheer you on all the way. It's a different, um, it's like a really beautiful level of friendship when you can like go through that together. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I really loved that they did in promotion for this movie was they sold, they like bought entire theaters, like entire screenings of the movie, and just had tickets available to moms. Mm -hmm. And so they just filled the room with moms, filled the auditorium, and then Charlize Theron went to a whole bunch of the screenings. And she said, you know, she's like, I get that you guys don't get nights off, so I really wanted to make it worth your while. And she's like. And I wanted to be here with all of you and watch it with you and talk with you. And there were all these gorgeous pictures of her just like, you know, holding women's hands while she talked to them. And uh, like, because Charlize is a mom and she's taken a lot of flack from the press about like a single mom, a single being a single mom. And like, I feel like there was an article every other week for a while of her like endangering her son and stuff like that. Like it was just they really were so vicious to her. And yeah. I love that she was just with her people like sharing in this film together. Well, I have some fun facts about this film that I'd love to share with you ladies. <laughs> um, so Diablo Cody was supposed to be writing a different movie during this time when she had her third baby. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be writing like a big Barbie blockbuster and she could not physically write that movie. Um, and she said, the only thing that comforted me at this time in my life was writing this weird, intense, almost stream of conscious indie script, which became Tully. I used it as a form of therapy, fantasizing about what it would be like if I could magically have somebody take care of me. So she wrote it during her, um, I guess after she had her third mm-hmm. and was kind of not in a place where she cared about this other blockbuster movie. Yeah. Um, and then Charlize also shared um, that one of the things that's always bothered me about motherhood is you can't talk honestly about the experience without shame being attached to it. And she's a single mom to a six-year-old son and now two-year-old daughter. And she says, somehow talking about the messy and hard how hard it is to raise kids always carries the stigma. Everyone else is telling you that it's a fucking blessing and it's great every (laughs) single day. And if it's not, then you're just not good at it. Mm. And I didn't feel as alone as a parent when I made this movie. Ugh. That's beautiful. Oh, so many things to say. (laughs) So I I live in a part of the world where um, you are asked what your husband does and not what you do. And one of the funniest things when I was pregnant was when somebody would ask me, what do you do? I would mishear it as, what do you do? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's really stupid, but um, I live in a place where the expectation is that you with your, you know, well-educated, I mean, I'm thinking Harvard and all sorts of like the big names of universities, you move to a particular suburb and you stay with your children and your children 
will learn Swahili and Chinese and like their Taekwondo masters and this, and you take them to all of these things and there is nothing for you. Um, but your husband makes really great money and he commutes and you, the expectation I think sometimes is that you are there and you make the meals and you, you're a you know, supportive take, role. You take everybody to where they need to be, but there's nothing left for you. And what bothered me, so for a while I worked with my husband during my first pregnancy and I would come across women who only spoke about themselves in the past tense. Mm. Oh, I used to work in the city and I used to, you know, go to lunch with my friends in the city and I used to, and I remember like carrying my daughter and being like, that's not the life for me. I can't speak about myself in the past tense because I'm still here. Right. So that what what Charlie is saying about like it being a blessing and all of that. It's it's really it really is amazing. You have a certain strength after going through like the first parts of motherhood because I know I'm only in the beginning and there's like how many so many 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 more years ahead. Um but it's like this this like sacrifice sacrificial cow thing mm-hmm. like literally with the milk and everything. It really bothers me and I don't understand why that has to be the standard and why there isn't more infrastructure there to support women to do what they want. Even even something as simple as like when I went back to work and having to pump in the disabled bathroom with no counter um, where people would like, it, the bathroom was filthy and everybody knew I was coming back from maternity leave and there were no facilities for me. It's like things like that. Um, that are really simple and straightforward. And I work in design and you would think that as designers, that's a design problem that you would be more progressive. Yeah. You would think, but things like that, you know? And Diana, I can't remember how we got on the conversation, but I remember calling you (laughs) or just having a conversation with you about the way that we don't support mothers. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, why aren't, why don't we pay stay at home mothers? Mm -hmm. Like, why is the value of this work so unvalued that, like, we don't give any support? There's no paid leave, like, standard for the United States. I think it's because I read an article on my Bump app um, about what other countries got from maternity. And it's, and I know these statistics. I mean, we made a movie that had it's them. It's part of your movie. Yeah, I took a screenshot of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think reading, it was, you're, I was reading about someone's experience. And so it was almost like a deeper level of, oh, they got a nanny and they got a year off and their partner was there. And like the joyful experience of that compared to what we kind of force women to go through mm-hmm. in this country is so baffling. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it. It's really insane. It's just so unforgiving. It's just like, there's, it's so black and white and it's so like, we talked about leaving the workforce and like, how long are you out before it's like irrelevant for you to come back? And like, you know, talking about yourself in the past tense, because it's like, you've just been out of it for so long, but Mm -hmm. there also isn't support structure to bring you back into it. It's like, once you leave, the door is slammed. There's, there is support but it's very grassroots there's not mm. there's not and it's anything. also very expensive it is yeah i mean it would be atrocious to tell you what i pay in childcare because i i mean we have i have a great mother-in-law i have a great mom but they're like in their like late 50s early 60s so like they're living their lives they're still fabulous and stuff like you don't want to be like well here are my children your grandchildren <laughs> like good luck with that and you know your time is free um 
I'm pretty sure that Abuela is still home with the kids right now. And she's been there since like 8.30 this morning. It's things like that, like in trying to find a balance and, you know, it being okay to have a nanny. Like even with all of that support, I still got a nanny for the first two years. And my daughter goes to preschool while my mother-in-law stays at home most days with the youngest one. And it's it's like a sister. We've got it down to a semi-well-oiled machine. But that, that thing that Tully was looking for, of somebody to look after her, mm. like I, I've said this to my husband, like, and it's, it, I mean, he does a great job. He's super supportive and stuff, but nobody sees things the way that the woman of the house will. Like when you know that they're, you know, I have a constant inventory of like what's in the fridge, um, how many ham slices, how many bottles of milk, just so that everybody can, eight and i don't think anybody thinks that way right besides me and it would be nice to have a real life tully to come in and say do you know what i just happened to be passing by the shops and i i picked up you know this that and the third and a lot of the times it does take its shape in many different forms like my mother-in-law will do that and my mom will sometimes cook dinner and send it to us and i will admit to sometimes having a cleaner come on to do the deep cleaning. For sure. There's like lots of wood in my house. I don't want to polish all of it. <laughs> so like she'll come every now and again and do all of that. And it's okay. Like you don't have to do all of the things. Absolutely. You can spend your Saturday with the toothbrush going around the skirting boards. But is that really how you want to spend your time? Yeah, for no. sure. Guys, I feel like we could talk about this movie for days. <laughs> yeah. And it's so good. Any final thoughts or last feelings or notes or comments or anything i think my biggest thing is just like i wish the studio had had more faith in this film because mm. i feel like it was released and immediately cut down by like half of the number of theaters screening it and i feel like it kind of just you know they had so much momentum at the beginning with those mom screenings and charlie's like surprising people but then it just died and i think like they didn't have faith in how powerful this movie truly is and how life-changing I believe I think I think somebody will watch this movie and just feel so like shook by it completely mm-hmm. so I think I would have loved to I'd love to see a re-release for this movie like I'd love to just see somebody take it and be like hey you know what people need to know what this is and people need to know like what you have here because I don't know if it's gonna be Diablo Cody like bringing it up or what but I would just love to see way more of I'd love to see this film championed in a bigger way. Yeah, maybe we can make it a cult classic. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do it. I'm a massive fan of like grassroots movement. So I've told all my moms about the film. Yeah. And you made a point before about like, when is it okay to come back? I have a friend I graduated with mm-hmm. like ages ago and she's on I think her third child. And it's just like that confidence of like coming mm-hmm. back. And I said to her, you know, you were brilliant in school you can run a whole house you can run whatever if you can if you can manage to keep three extra people alive you can do anything really and it's that sort of like woman to woman and even like bringing some of the guys on board to empower women like that your work whatever whether it's washing dishes and wiping bums all day or it's being in a corporate setting your work is worthy and it needs to be praised and so do the women so it's things like friendship and conversations and honesty i think really that's where it lies i love that i have nothing else to add that was perfect (laughs) danny thank you so much for coming and adding your perspective um it was 
is such a delight to hear from you. You added such a depth to this conversation that I know Diana and I are grateful for. So thank you for taking the night and, and coming and chatting with us. Anytime. Thank you guys you are doing much. fabulous work. Please keep it up. Thank you. Yeah. Happy uh, Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!